Good morning, again. One of these days I'd like to preach in that big black row that makes me feel like a mighty wizard of some kind. (laughs) For the last few months in our Wednesday night Bible study meetings, we've been studying the Psalms as the songs of the King for His people. And just recently, actually, we spent two weeks looking at Psalm 23 in light of Jesus' proclamation that he is the fulfillment of all that psalm guaranteed here where we are this morning in John chapter 10. So the first thing I should probably do this morning is apologize to the people that were there those nights because some of these next two weeks will sound familiar to them, but we'll also dig a little bit deeper. This text is bottomless. And it's beauty for us, literally, I think. I think if we follow the flow of this text, we'll arrive at Jesus' intended conclusion in verse 10. There are two I am statements here in chapter 10 that appear back to back. They're very closely connected. So today is almost like part one, and next week is part two of a single message about the Lord as shepherd and believers as his sheep. <clears throat> the biggest burden, I feel as a preacher, is to convince believers that they really are safe, that they're allowed to rest. I want to see people freed from the burden of thinking that their approval with God is based finally on their performance. I want people to believe their sins are truly forgiven. I want our church to be freed from the burden of thinking that it has to impress God. The goal of everything I say and do is that you would truly believe that it is finished. To me, the biggest problem in a church is not figuring out how to get more volunteers for things or how to start more ministries or how to get more people in the door or whether or not you need home groups instead of Sunday school or vice versa or if you need both, or what musical style you go with. I'm I'm convicted in my heart that the biggest problem in the church is that we don't genuinely believe that it's finished. And I think the enemy labors mainly to make us think the problem is anything but that. And I think he's been winning for far too long. And I'd, I'd like to see you and me and our church set free from believing that life is found in anything but Christ alone. Now that's an immediate application of what Jesus is saying in this text this morning. This I am statement is about life, but it's about the life that we have now in this life or are meant to have now. We could walk out the door this morning with it, with this life Jesus is talking about if we really wanted to. Jesus preached to the people that He was the only person that could give them abundant life. He was the means by which they would find it. Jesus Christ is the door so that His sheep may have abundant life. So if you're able, would you stand with me as we read from John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, 
He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Let's pray. Our Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit revealing your Son to us through your Word this morning, would you convince all of us, all of us, that this text is true? Your Son, Jesus Christ, is the door to both eternal and abundant life. In Him we find pasture no matter where we are, Father. Come and move among and within us this morning. I ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. So Jesus has once again been confronting the Pharisees for their blindness all, all throughout John. And so much of what Jesus has to reveal specifically about himself is done so in the presence of people who cannot, who will not see him. And here Jesus begins to get even more specific about what these religious leaders in Israel at this time were really like, how dangerous they really are for the people. Jesus said in 939 that he had come so that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. So here the light does judge. Jesus came to cure the blindness of people who knew they were blind. But Jesus also came to make blind the people who thought they could see. Jesus Christ has nothing kind or hope-giving to say to anyone who thinks they don't need Him. Or that He by Himself is enough, thinks that He isn't enough. And He's adamant about it. Look at chapter 10, verse 1 again. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief. A robber. So tracing the flow of Jesus' thought here is crucial to properly understanding this text. Why would some, what, what is Jesus saying? Why would someone enter a sheepfold through some other way than the door? Because there's a gatekeeper guarding the door. Only someone then with bad intentions for the sheep, like a thief or a robber, would not just go through the door. Verses 2 and 3. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The shepherd uses the door because he's the shepherd, and the sheep follow the voice of the shepherd. He even knows he's perfectly capable of leading them. They trust him. And so we read in verse four, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his 
voice. So the shepherd is not driving them or pushing them from behind. It's not the way he shepherds. He goes in front of them and leads them and they follow him. Five and six, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. How could they not understand what he just said? It's very obvious. It's very clear. The sheep of the shepherd won't follow the voice of strangers, whoever Jesus is talking about. Meaning that if a thief or a robber snuck in and tried to snatch them away, which he would have to do because he can't carry all of them, he just have to try to lure them away, it wouldn't work. They won't follow because they don't know his voice. That's very self-explanatory. It's true in nature. That's very true about sheep. Once they know the voice of their shepherd, you cannot move them with anybody else's voice but the voice of that shepherd. But it's obvious that Jesus is making a spiritual connection here. In other words, the crowd understands that he didn't just decide out of the clear blue sky to start teaching zoology or something. They, they know there's a point to this, a spiritual reality under it. But they don't understand it. They have no idea what the spiritual connection is. They don't get the implications. They don't see why this is relevant or would matter. And you and I still don't fully grasp the implications of what our Lord is saying to us in John chapter 10. We don't fully grasp it. We still miss the point. We still miss the point, which means, much like in Psalm 23, one of the points of Jesus' words in John 10 is to get you and I to realize from the get-go that we are sheep. That's us here. We're dependent. We need someone to shepherd us, and that will always be true. It will never be untrue. There will never be a point where you and I as believers graduate from being sheep to being the shepherd, to where we no longer need to be guided by the voice of the shepherd. Sheep are wanderers. They're dependent animals. That's always what they are. So look at what Jesus does in verses 7 through 9. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. He's pressing it. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So, When Jesus says, I'm saying that again, that means that's precisely what he was actually saying in verses 1 through 5. He was talking about himself and his sheep and a certain group of people who are like thieves and robbers to the sheep. Now the Pharisees for years have been claiming to be able to care for the sheep like nobody else could. This is what Pharisees always do. Right? They, they don't lead from the front. They follow you around policing your life. That's what Pharisees do. That's unsafe for you. That's dangerous for you. Listen to me. I'll keep you straight. You want to glorify God? You want to obey God? You want to keep the law? Let me lead you. Listen to me. Listen to my voice. Listen to what we tell you. And Jesus says, they're stealing you from me. They're stealing you. They're trying to secure your safety and care by some means other than the one who is responsible for the safety and the care of the sheep, the door of the sheep. 
I am the door of the sheep. Jesus says, and if you follow me and enter by me, you will be saved. You will go in and out and find pasture. He's saying, through me, you'll be safe. You'll be cared for. You'll have everything you need, whether you're in the fold or out wandering. That's his point. So all the sheep are in here. There's the door. That's what keeps them safe. And Jesus is saying, I'm the door that keeps you safe. That's what I am. I can open the gate. You can wander out to your heart's content. You can wander back in. Either way, you're safe. Notice the order here. I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. That's first. And go in and out and find pasture. That's two things that result from Jesus being the door. Salvation and pasture. Salvation and life. The sheep are safe no matter where they are, no matter where they wander, because Jesus Christ is the door. Beloved, you were never meant to wonder whether or not you are safe, no matter where you are. You were meant to read John 10 and believe John 10. That's what you were meant to do. I wander, but thank God I'm saved. If you are in Christ, you are saved no matter where you go. Even if you were to end up, say, in the valley of the shadow of death, the presence of your enemies, you can fear no evil there, for His rod and His staff will comfort you because you are His. In other words, the door is solid. Keep looking to Him. Believe on Him. Keep trusting Him. Wherever you're wandering, you're safe. And I will say to you all this morning what I said to the Wednesday night group a couple weeks ago. I believe in the eternal security of the believer. And I will not nuance it or qualify it at all. Believers are eternally secure. Period. No ifs, no ands, no buts. So often... It is qualified. You're secure if you keep on proving that you're actually saved. How is that security? Why even say it? How is that security? Who is doing the securing in that equation? Right? Again, why even say eternal security is a thing if you believe that really at the end of the day, you're responsible for guaranteeing it? That makes salvation 100% dependent on you and I. Right? So let's carry that thought out to its required conclusion. The thought that you can only be secure if you keep proving that you're genuine. Okay, fair enough. At what rate do I need to be growing? Or how much or what evidence exactly do I need to see, do others need to see, in order for me to have the right to believe that I'm secure? And just... Just give me the lowest common denominator. That that will work. right? How long or how far can I wander before I should conclude I'm not actually saved? How far can you go? How do I know when I'm just in a bad spot for a while? I haven't lost my salvation. I haven't proven that I don't have it at all. I'm just struggling. How do I know the difference between that? And then how do I know that now I've gone to the point where it's actually gone? Now I've actually gone far enough to lose it. Or to show that I never had it. 
Do I get to mess up 10 times? Do you get to mess up 40 times? Do you get to mess up 367 times? Do you get to mess up 938 times? Since grace is actually pretty good, you get more chances than you figure, or are we just supposed to go by how we feel? Between the ages of 5 and my mid-twenties, I think I got saved 11,468 times. <laughs> right? I was baptized some of those times. You know, I, I, I was baptized. I mean, I was, had water poured on my head sometimes. It got to the point where one time I was 12. I was 12 years old. I was in the sixth grade and my, my dad could preach. And I, I, he, I sat under his preaching every Sunday, and every Sunday I ended up at the altar praying to get saved. Because I thought, I'm, I'm not saved. I'm not in. I'm not, I'm wrong. And it just, it terrified me. I mean, it terrified me because not only did I grow up believing you could lose your salvation, but I grew up hearing it preached that you could reach a point where you had lost it too many times to come back. Now, nobody can tell you what number that is, so you just live your life in fear and bondage. But that's what you believe. And so I came to the altar one time. I was 12 years old. My dad knelt down beside me, put his arm around me, and whispered in my ear, Son, when are you going to get this right? (laughs) Yeah. The beautiful thing about my, my dad in that equation is that my dad doesn't think like that anymore. But at the time, I just lived in constant fear of hellfire. And so what else was I supposed to do? But like I realized every week, like I, I, would, I would just make these promises and commitments and blow them constantly. I rededicated my life so much that the word became nothing. Right, the, Beloved, those are the options. Either you think I'm securing it. I'm doing good enough. I have a right to feel secure. I had a, a friend who was a, a, a preacher in that denomination tell me one time, look, because he knew I was started to battle back and forth about eternal security and whether or not you could lose your salvation. It was just this constant uh, trial for me, you know, trying to figure it out and work through the, the Bible because it seemed like the Bible was saying one thing, but I've been raised to believe another thing. And he said to me, listen, if you just live a holy life, you never have to worry about it. He's like, I don't have to worry about whether or not I'm secure. My life is holy. Yeah, there's people out there that believe that about themselves. So what, what do we, what do we have? I mean, what, what do we have? And then you start to see what Jesus might actually be talking about when he's talking about abundant life, because that's death. That's the walking dead to believe that my salvation is up to me. It just kills or it makes you an insufferable Pharisee. Who is the door through which I gained eternal life? That's the question to ask. That's Who saves is the question to ask. And that answers all the other questions. So when I preach, right, I'm, I'm not trying to scare you straight. That, that's not, I don't think that's what Jesus did. When, when Jesus was scary, it was when he was talking to people who wouldn't agree that they needed to repent and believe. Here's the bottom line in the whole conversation about grace and law. 
about whether you need a proper balance of law and grace in order to stay on the straight and narrow and be safe, here's the bottom line. The gospel will always put you on safer ground than the law. Any day of the week. The gospel will always put you on safer ground than the law any day of the week. Now here's the thing. You might feel safer subjectively fenced in by the law. You might feel safer with voices around you telling you that they are how you can be safe. And that's the whole point of Jesus' words in John 10. That's the whole point. It's precisely because we are sheep who wander that we feel safer over there with them behind fences that Jesus has to preach like this at all. Beloved, they didn't understand what he was saying because for them grace was a complete stranger. They didn't understand what he was saying. What do you mean by that? Do you mean what it sounds like you're saying? It was people listening to the Pharisees. It's people believing that they have to keep the law in order to be saved. Or keep the law just in order to be safe if they were to go in and out and find pastor that do not understand what Jesus is saying. There's something they believe that keeps them from understanding. It's not because it's confusing. It's people listening to other voices, to other promises coming from somewhere of safety and protection and security and stability that just cannot accept the promise that Jesus makes in the gospel. The problem is that they are not the door that are saying those things, those voices. They are thieves and robbers. They will steal your hope. They will steal your faith. They will put you somewhere where you're actually not safe, but you'll think you're on solid ground because there are fences. Paul argues that in Colossians. We just don't listen to him. We just don't listen to the Bible. Let's just... When he says those things, those types of things, those gates and fences you build for yourself, they have an appearance of wisdom, but they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. We say, yeah, but I'm still going to build them. Jesus is saying salvation has nothing to do with the sheepfold. It has to do with the door. Because is the shepherd only the shepherd when the sheep are inside? Or... Does the shepherd have just as much control over the sheep when they're in here as when they're out there? Because it sure seems like Jesus has you safe wherever you are. Whatever you're doing or not doing. That's the point of what he's saying here to his people. That's the point of the whole metaphor that they cannot understand, and we don't either. We wrestle with it right now. No way, no way. I need fences to keep me safe. You don't know who I am, Tony. You don't know what I'm like. You don't know what I deal with. I don't deny for a second that what you deal with might be rough. I'm just telling you Jesus is plenty. Thinking like that doesn't make us wise. It makes us susceptible to the schemes of thieves and robbers. And in verse 10, Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they, the sheep, may have life and have it abundantly. The thief comes to steal and kill the sheep. And there's only one shepherd. 
that can lead the sheep. So there's one voice to listen to. All the other ones are stealing and robbing and lying and killing and destroying. Beloved, pay attention to Jesus here. All right, don't be like the people that didn't understand this. Please. Jesus' argument is as airtight as it is accessible here. Here's what he's saying to the crowd. You feel safe inside fences where you've got a shepherd and a gatekeeper and they don't let anyone in, but the shepherd and the door keeps them from wandering once they're inside. No one could get in without the gatekeeper letting them. The sheep can't get out without the gatekeeper opening the gate. But Jesus says of his sheep, the ones he cares for, I'm the door of those sheep. I just open it. And the sheep go in and out. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether they're in or out. They're finding pasture. They, the people, were thinking in these terms. If you're inside fences, you're safe. Right? All the fences they had. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 thieves and robbers will just come in another way and steal and kill the sheep. Fences don't prevent that. Why? Because thieves and robbers don't use the door. Right? They don't use the door. Remember? That's the whole point of what Jesus is saying. He's been talking about His opponents the whole time. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of Israel, the people that have corrupted His whole religion. Look, robbers aren't coming through the doors. They're climbing over the door. They're entering in other places and they're killing my sheep. The Pharisees look like they're doing right, but they're not. They're thieves and robbers and they're killing my sheep inside the confines of Israel, inside the confines of the religious structures you are counting on to save you. They're killing you inside of your fences. You're counting on the temple to save you. You're counting on the priests to save you. You're counting on the sacrifices to save you. You're counting on the Pharisees and the law to save you. You're counting on the fact that you're children of Abraham to save you. You're counting on all these things. All this religious structure, these fences to save you. Meanwhile, robbers and thieves are just climbing over all of them and killing you inside of what you think is safe. None of those things shepherd you. But I am the door of the sheep. Jesus says, I just open the door and they go in and out and find pasture and are safe. It doesn't matter because my sheep know my voice wherever they are. And they don't need the false security of a religious structure to keep them safe. Beloved, the point is we don't need to build fences to keep us safe when Jesus is the door. If I thought heaven and hell ultimately depended on your behavior, I would be a pushy preacher. But I don't. Your salvation depends on the door. The life of the sheep doesn't depend on how much the sheep stay secluded in the safe places we create. Jesus is the door of this flock. Right? It's, it's not telling you to go and be irresponsible and get yourself killed. That's not what the text is telling you. But radically and offensively, to those convinced they have to earn their way in, Jesus is telling you that if that's where you end up, He will still be with you.
he will still be with you. And wait until you hear what he says next week. Why did Jesus come in John 10? In John 10, what's Jesus' reason that he gives for coming to the earth? What's the point of them, of us knowing that Jesus is the door of the sheep? The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's the purpose in John 10 for which Jesus came. Jesus is the door precisely so you and I will not fear for our safety. Even if we feel like we've wandered too far. Jesus is freedom from the bondage of death. Having that be the truth that makes me what I am, that, beloved, is abundant life. That's what it is. Jesus is the door so that his sheep may have abundant life. What is abundant life? It's a life free from the fear of what your own sinfulness and unworthiness and inability will ultimately be able to do to you. That's abundant life. Jesus isn't keeping anything from his sheep. Waiting for them to earn it. That's a lie. Don't listen to it. If somebody ever says to you, and if it's me included, you can have abundant life if you and whatever follows that isn't believe in Jesus Christ, then I'm a liar. This text is here so that when any believer, any believer in North America or the Sudan or Palestine or Israel or Indonesia or Azerbaijan or North Korea or Turkey or Guatemala or Israel or China or Syria, any believer, the text is here so that any believer, any sheep, any sheep, no matter where they are, no matter what is realistically accessible for them from a material or financial perspective, none of that matters but so that any sheep would know that they have what Jesus has promised here. That's why it's here. So that every sheep knows that's why He came. That's what I have because He's the door. You see, have abundant life. There's a context for it. It's the life you have because Jesus is the door. You see how that doesn't depend? Abundant life is not about how much you have. It's not about how much you can get. It's not about where you live. It's not about what your job is. It's not about what your marriage is like. It's not about how your kids turn out. It's about none of those things. It's about knowing that when I hit the pillow tonight, it doesn't matter what my day was like. I am safe and I will spend eternity with Christ because of Christ. That is abundant life. That's what it is. So every believer... Any believer, it doesn't matter where they are. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what your name is. Believer, you have abundant life because Christ is risen from the dead. Don't believe any other lie. Don't believe any other lie. There's a life that we live when we know God has made us secure 
and the life we live when we think even the slightest bit of our standing is up to us and it changes everything. Everything. Uh, every, every conflict. Every conflict in a church. From the smallest ones that seem insignificant to the biggest ones that threaten to split the whole place in half. I guarantee you. I guarantee you what you have are two sides who refuse to find their identity in Christ alone and need something or someone else to do for them what they want done for themselves and therefore they cannot rest and therefore there is upheaval and conflict all the time because we won't believe Jesus. We don't understand it. We can't accept it. We can't accept it. And and listen, we, we steal abundant life from ourselves. Right? It's not a trick. It's not a game. It's, 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 it's Christ, your shepherd. If he's your shepherd, do you know the worst thing your enemy could do to you is send you home? That's what Christ gives. That's what Christ gives. And, and, and so often we sell ourselves short thinking that we're missing something because we don't have this or we don't have that. We couldn't hold on to that, right? Jesus promises abundant life, and we keep thinking that's that's like something to achieve, where everything's at a certain level. And and then have you thought about then how how does that comfort the believer in Ethiopia? And if it doesn't work for them, it's not correct, right? It, it, it's. The abundant life isn't always out there. If I could just get this together, I just get Jesus meant for me to have abundant life, and I, I if I could just get these things together. No, 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 beloved, remember the bread. Remember that Jesus didn't come to give bread; Jesus came to be bread. And beloved, He is, He is. No matter where you are, no matter how much money you make, no matter where you work, no matter your family situation, no matter how popular you are or aren't, you have green pastures. You have still waters because Jesus is your shepherd. Goodness and mercy are following you, meaning they are pursuing you into His presence forever and nothing can change it. I will, I told the Wednesday night group this too. I, I, I will never forget the sentence, the sentence that changed my life. I will never forget it. It was my dad preaching years later in a Baptist church for the first time ever from John 10. And I was still wrestling and struggling and he posed this question and it has held me safe because it's the truth. Since 1996. Is it the sheep's job to keep the shepherd? Or is it the shepherd's job to keep the sheep? And I don't, I know it's not necessarily profound, but to me, it literally changed my life. I, I, I hope on some level that it will begin to sift through you like wheat until you have peace, believe. All right? This is everything. You have abundant life right now if you are believing in Jesus Christ because Jesus is your shepherd and Jesus has made you right with God. It's finished. 
This is abundant life. To know that no matter where you go or where you are, you'll find pasture because Jesus Christ has made you right with God. He's the door of the sheep, which means the sheep are secure for eternity. Believe Him. Take Jesus at His word. Don't take me at my word. Take Jesus at Jesus' word. This is what we invite you to this morning. Repent of all your sins. Ask forgiveness for all of your sins. Come to Him. Come to Him. He will accept you into His fold. He will not turn you away. And everything that drives your identity now and your fear for the future and your fear for the moment and your regret and darkness and shame over the past is gone in this Christ. Gone. Gone. No, it doesn't always feel gone. My shame doesn't always feel gone. But because the Lord is my shepherd, I know that's on my end. It's not coming from Him. Repent of all of your sins. Lay all of your burdens down at His feet. Lay all of your failures down at His feet. Lay all of your attempts to be good down at His feet. Surrender every claim on yourself. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. He will receive you. He will welcome you. Come and find pasture. Come and be safe forever. Have abundant life. It's for the taking of anyone in this room that believes Jesus is the truth this morning. June is going to come. We're going to sing a final song here. I'll be down in front. If you need to come and pray, if you need rest for your soul, if you want to be saved, if you want to join our church, any of these things, just come forward and we'll pray together. Jesus is passing by with mercy for sinners. Mercy for everybody in the room. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy today. God, that's why any of us in this room is here. Pure mercy, pure grace, pure provision, pure love from heaven to earth. How can it be? But it is. And so, Lord, I ask this morning that you would work now, that, Lord, what has been true in this sermon would be engraved on the hearts of every person in the room for abundant and eternal life. I ask and pray this in the name of our shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, the door of the sheep. Amen.
so much for coming this morning, everyone. I want to invite Beth McIlvain to come to the front here just for a moment, or for longer than a moment, I guess. Beth, we have a certificate for you our church just to commemorate this day for your baptism. And I want to give everybody a chance to come by when we're closed here and have a chance to welcome you into the family and say hello and introduce themselves and all that. So thank you so much. Praise God for your new life, your new birth. All right, let's let's pray together. And please come by when we're finished and introduce yourself if you don't know her to Beth. And let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for the witness here that we have this morning that you are still saving. Father, I thank you so much. And I pray, Lord, that our church would celebrate with Beth Celebrate the life that you have given. Lord, uh, I, I thank you so much for salvation. Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing in our midst. Lord, we thank you for the great reports we've heard this week. And so, Father, I pray that you would be with us as we go. Watch over every single one of us. Let us go in grace and in peace. And we ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.